Chapter 14 of Napoleon, A Short Biography This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton Napoleon, A Short Biography by R. M. Johnson Chapter 14, The Struggle for Germany and Italy, 1813 Effects of the Russian Catastrophe Lutzen and Bautzen, Austrian Intervention, Dresden, Leipzig, Marat and Italy. The great catastrophe of Russia had a twofold effect, material and morale. It destroyed the veteran army that had for so long imposed its master's will on the continent, and it broke the spell of invincibility that had so often paralyzed Napoleon's enemies. Schwarzenberg, who had done little or nothing, concluded a military convention with the Russian general and withdrew his troops. The Prussians, serving under MacDonald, deserted him, and before many weeks had passed, the Prussian government plucked up enough courage to approve this course officially, signed a treaty of alliance with Russia, Kalish, February 27, and declared war. The King of Naples soon abandoned his trust as commander-in-chief to return to his capital, and Prince Eugene. And Prince Eugene, who assumed command, then gradually withdrew the small army he had collected from the Vistula to the Oder, and then from the Oder to the Elbe. His numbers were quite insufficient to meet the Russians and Prussians in the field. Meanwhile, Napoleon in Paris was making gigantic efforts to retrieve his impaired fortunes. New levies were raised, amounting for the whole year 1813, to over a million men. Women, children, and old men did the work of the fields, while every able-bodied man and boy was seized by the conscription, passed through the barrack yard, armed, uniformed, and marched on the road to Germany. By the month of April, Napoleon once more had a large army across the Rhine rapidly advancing to join that of Prince Eugene. The emperor took command in person and pushed on toward Leipzig. He effected his junction with the prince and was preparing to march on Berlin, when he was attacked in flank by the Russians and Prussians under Wittgenstein and Blücher at Lutzen, May 2. Here a great battle was fought, and the French conscripts astonished their generals and brought victory back to the imperial standards. But Lutzen was a hard-fought field barely won, and Napoleon's lack of cavalry prevented his impeding the retreat of the Allies. Three weeks later, another battle was fought, with much the same results at Botzen. In the pursuit that followed into Silesia, Napoleon once more sadly missed an efficient force of cavalry, and on the 4th of June he agreed to an armistice that gave him Saxony and the line of the Elbe. He hoped by this means to gain time to bring up his strength in men and horses, but as events turned out, the suspension of hostilities proved more to the advantage of the Allies. During this armistice came the news of Wellington's decisive victory at Vittoria, which drove the French from Spain, and Austria notified France that she was prepared to offer her mediation with a view to peace. As soon as Metternich had realized the magnitude of the disaster that had overtaken the French army in Russia, he determined to prepare to take advantage of it, but advance with prudence. The Austrian army was rapidly increased and placed on a war footing, and after many hesitations due to the timidity of the Emperor Francis, Austria finally put forward her conditions. These were broadly that the great Duchy of Warsaw should be abolished, that Prussia should regain her boundaries of 1805, 
that the Confederation of the Rhine should be dissolved and that Austria should regain Trest and Dalmatia. There followed interviews between Napoleon and Metternich, extensions of the armistice, a peace congress at Prague, but the emperor never meant to accept peace. He was only negotiating to gain time. The upshot was that Austria, on her mediation failing, joined the Allied powers. On the 10th of August, hostilities were resumed, and Napoleon now had to face an Austrian army of 200,000 men besides those of Russia, Prussia, and Sweden. For Sweden had now joined the Allies. Marshal Bernadotte had been elected crown prince three years before, and now led her army, while another Frenchman, General Moreau, had left the United States and joined the staff of the Tsar Alexander. Even Marat, sick of the war and anxious for his throne, had been engaged in negotiations with Austria, while the French army was utterly dispirited and longed for peace. The marshals were weary and entreated the emperor to accept reasonable conditions. The conscripts mutilated themselves by thousands so as to be sent home. Yet Napoleon's relentless energy drove his army to victory once more. At Dresden, on the 27th of August, the Austrians under Schwarzenberg were heavily defeated, largely owing to the King of Naples' brilliant leadership of the French right. Then followed a series of inconclusive maneuvers and partial engagements in which the Allies were constantly successful against the detached French troops. The weather was inclement, the country exhausted, and the French army was reduced to some 200,000 men, while that of the Allies had gradually increased to more than double that figure. Germany was now partly in arms, and as success appeared more hopeful, defection spread from one state to another. North, south, and east of the Elbe, between Dresden and Magdeburg, three great Allied armies nearly surrounded that of Napoleon, avoiding battle with him but engaging his marshals when he was absent. Finally, on Bavaria joining the Allies, Schwarzenberg moved from Bohemia westwards and threatened to strike at the Mayence-Leipzig road in Napoleon's rear. The emperor now divided his army. One half marched northwards under his own orders for a stroke at Blücher or Bernadotte. The other, under the king of Naples, was left to contain Schwarzenberg. Napoleon failed in his attempt to bring the Prusso-Russians or Swedes to an engagement and fell back towards Leipzig. At the same time, the king of Naples retired towards the same point, pressed hard by Schwarzenberg's superior numbers. All the armies were now converging from south, east, and north on Leipzig, 150,000 French, 300,000 allies, and on the 16th and 18th of October, a decisive battle was fought there. The French, placed in a semicircle, fought on the defensive, but were slowly and surely driven back. A dramatic incident marked the second day's fighting, when a corps of Saxon troops left their position in the French lines and went over to the enemy. On the night of the 19th, Napoleon, though hard-pressed and driven back, still held positions covering the town, but he was virtually defeated and had not enough ammunition in hand to continue the struggle. Orders for a retreat were therefore issued, but to leave Leipzig by the road to Mayence, a bridge over the Elster had to be crossed. This was insufficient for the passage of the army, and Napoleon, bent as ever on the offensive, had neglected to make provision for a retreat. On the morning of the 19th, the last French corps were caught in the trap, and the bridge was blown up when 30,000 men or more were still on the further bank. 
Probably Napoleon's total losses at Leipzig did not fall far short of 60,000 men, and a few weeks later, the army he led back across the Rhine only numbered about 70,000. An incident of this retreat must now be mentioned that will lead to a digression on the affairs of Italy hitherto somewhat neglected. A few days after leaving Leipzig, Joachim Murat suddenly left headquarters and, traveling post-haste, returned to Naples, where he arrived in the first week of November. Murat, like nearly every one of Napoleon's generals, was heartily sick of war and now considered the emperor irretrievably defeated. He hoped for a prompt peace, but was anxious, whatever happened, to maintain his own position as king of Naples. If fighting were to continue, this could only be done, so he thought, either by treating with the Allies or, in another way, one that opens up a large and interesting question of policy. By various consecutive steps, by the creation of the Kingdom of Italy, by the conquest of the Kingdom of Naples, by the absorption of the states of the Church, Napoleon had brought all the peninsula of Italy under his rule. For the first time since the days of Rome, Italians from north and from south fought under the same flag, obeyed similar laws, were governed by the same system, and this too was the work of a man of Italian race. The designation he had chosen for his Lombard provinces, the declarations he had made during the campaign of 1796, the title he had given his son, were all indications of a possible creation of an Italian nationality. Now that Germany and Spain were lost, now that victorious Austria was on the point of invading her lost provinces south of the Alps, the question arose, how were they to be defended? Prince Eugene, Viceroy of Italy, had been sent to assume command of such troops as could be collected, but his army was small, there was no public spirit behind him, and the King of Naples persistently declined to move his troops to assist the prince. Murat wanted to do one of two things, either to obtain a guarantee of his throne from Austria and Great Britain, or to obtain from Napoleon a declaration creating Italy one, and giving him the command of her combined and now national resources. In the latter case, he made sure that, joining his troops to those of the Viceroy, and supported by the nationalist sentiment of the people, he could successfully resist any Austrian invasion. Appealing both to Metternich and Napoleon, he found the former willing, the latter unwilling to treat. The dream of Italy unity faded, and Murat turned traitor to his old colors by signing a treaty of alliance with Austria on the 11th of January, 1814. At that date, the Austrians had already occupied Venetia to the south of the Alps, while to the north they had crossed the Rhine and were marching on Paris. Chronology 2nd of May, 1813, Lützen 21st of May, Botzen 4th of June and 10th of August, Armistice 21st of June, Wellington successful at Vittoria 26th of August, Dresden 16 through 18 of October, Leipzig End of chapter 14